In 2022, Samir Patel was driving on a single lane road in Denmark with thick trees on either side. As he was driving, he noticed the name of the road. And it's rather appropriate. You can't make this stuff up, right? It literally is called Dark Valley Road. Samir is Atlas Obscura's editor-in-chief. He was driving on Dark Valley Road during the summer. But in October, this road is blocked with a military-style checkpoint. Men in Tyvek suits roam around, carrying assault rifles. Every once in a while, they stop a car and pull out the passengers. And as you turn onto this road, you see a sign that says Dystopia on it. Dystopia is Denmark's largest haunted house attraction. Those dudes pulling people out of their cars, it's all part of the setup. Dystopia is built in what used to be an old fish processing plant, which, can I just say, of all the potential abandoned factories where you could build a haunted house, this is possibly the creepiest. It works perfectly too, because like there's legitimately in some places weird black stuff dripping from the ceiling and they don't actually know what it is. And then there's all these concrete, they would have been fish like holding ponds in the back, which make a really great setting where you're chased through this outdoor maze by a large man with a chainsaw with a severed pig's head as a mask. They call him Mr. Piggy. Cute. He's the mascot of dystopia. People come to Dystopia to voluntarily get chased around by Mr. Piggy and get the crap scared out of him. But that's not why Samir was there. He was interested in another group of people who regularly visit the haunted house. A group of researchers from a place called the Recreational Fear Lab who are looking at the fun side of fear. I'm Johanna Mayer, and this is Atlas Obscura. A celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, we head into dystopia. And as Samir tells me, it might be scary, but it's also fun as hell. More after this. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites— along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Typically on our show, we tell you about a place. Today, I'm going to talk with Samir about everything we've learned from a place— Because the research that comes out of Dystopia and the Recreational Fear Lab could affect everything from game design to anxiety treatment to how we raise our children. So, Dystopia. This former fish factory turned hunting grounds for Mr. Piggy. 
comes from the brain of a Danish guy named Jonas Bog. His official title is uh, the architect of fear. See have business cards with that printed on it? I'm pretty sure he does. I hope so. Like he's, I this is a lifestyle thing for him. It's not just, you know, Halloween time. Jonas runs Dystopia. He's a big fear buff. And around the same time he was developing the attraction, this other guy named Matthias Clayson was also diving deep into the world of fear. He's a literature professor who specializes in the study of horror. This goes back to, you know, late 18th century when gothic novels get a little creepier and you get Mary Shelley and Frankenstein. And this is like the root of where, where horror actually becomes something that's not just, you know, a tool of social control, but becomes a, a form of entertainment. Matthias doesn't have a background as a scientist, but he collaborates with a lot of psychologists. He looked around and said, you know, no one really knows or understands why we're interested in this. We have this cultural phenomenon that many of us respond to negatively and positively, and we just don't know much about the psychology behind it. The psychology of genuine fear, the kind when you feel a presence in a dark alley or a noise in the woods late at night, that's pretty well understood. But Matthias was interested in recreational fear. Fear that we choose to experience for fun. So we partnered up with some psychologists to study it. Shortly after, Matthias and Jonas crossed paths at a lecture. They described it as a, a meet cute after a horror lecture uh, <laughs> where Jonas was like, I'm going to start a haunted house. Can you tell me how to make it scarier? And Matthias is like, yes, can I come and study your patrons? And it just worked out. The two paired up to make a combo haunted house slash research facility. Jonas would run dystopia, and Matthias and his collaborators would study the people who experienced it and analyze the results in an on-campus facility that they call the Recreational Fear Lab. Technically, the two are separate entities, but they work together. Research begins in the Fear Lab, but they think of dystopia as a kind of field study component. So how do you actually go about studying fear or studying the patrons at dystopia? How would you get any sort of measured results from that? <laughs> As a place to do research, it is extremely, extremely difficult. In a lot of ways, this place is a researcher's nightmare. People are running around. The layout changes every year. No two nights are exactly the same. But Matthias and his colleagues have said, like, but this, this data, it's like gold. You know, where else are you going to get this? People voluntarily walking into a, a frightening situation and uh, we can ask them about it before, we can ask them about it after, take video of them, mm -hmm. have monitors on them to track heart rate or sweat and a variety of other sort of physiological factors. So what are some of the most interesting findings that came out of this? One of their big studies essentially broke down the typology of horror fans, the typology of people who would attend something like dystopia. So there's the adrenaline junkies. These are the folks who are there because they love horror, they want to be part of it. But not just that, they want to heighten their own fear response. So they're not looking away. They're not telling themselves it's only a gag. Like, they're really trying to immerse themselves. Then there's the alternative group, which they call the white knucklers. <laughs> and these are folks who... They're trying to decrease their fear response by looking away, hmm. by saying it's only a joke or finding the humor in it, whatever it might be. 
It's interesting that both of those groups of people are drawn to the same place. <laughs> well, some people are drawn in by groups of friends and things like yes, that. Yes, some people are like, coerced. Yeah, But they both, interestingly enough, they both report similar levels of satisfaction when they huh. come out of That's the interesting. Haunt, right. But the white knucklers actually reported a boost in mood, hmm. in part because I think they had experienced a sort of like They'd overcome a challenge. Can I handle this? Can I do it? Yeah, it's like, you did it. Interesting. They also, in their later analysis, found a third group of horror fans. And these are people they call the Dark Cobras. And these are folks for whom they sort of explicitly go into a horror experience in order to deal with the anxiety of the outside world. So they Mm -hmm. report like a Mm -hmm. mood boost and a sense of satisfaction coming out of it that's different from what the Adrenaline Junkies and the White Knucklers experience. It's almost like a horror experience as a form of personal growth. It's interesting. I remember like when the pandemic set in in 2020, I got super into watching horror movies or like thrillers um, because it would, you know, there was so much like chaos and uncertainty outside and it's like, well, when this is done, I can like turn it off and simulate that experience and then feel like I've overcome it. It feels almost like it's helping you control the outside world or something. So it's interesting that you bring that up. I didn't, by the way, as a horror fan, like <laughs> I did not want to watch any of the uh, huh. pandemic movies or World War Z or whatever it was during the pandemic. But the people at the Recreational Fear Lab had been talking about this idea that fear horror entertainment could be somehow like psychologically protective. Early in the pandemic, a journalist who had once written about the recreational fear lab tweeted at the team asking basically this exact question, whether they thought horror entertainment could help people cope with the fear and uncertainty around the pandemic. And so they're like, well, we need to find out. So they did a survey and they looked and they found that folks who watched, who enjoyed horror entertainments and in particular movies that involve things like pandemics, during the actual COVID-19 pandemic, slept better, reported less anxiety, reported less concern about what was going to happen next. So it really did appear that there was this kind of protective effect happening scientifically. It appeared in, in their data, which is to say there could be a real value to these kinds of experiences because it gives us a psychological rehearsal of fear of negative emotion in a controlled and safe environment. It's like going to the mental resilience gym or something. Yeah. And this is not uncommon in the psychological world where uh, like acute phobias might be treated with Mm. exposure therapy, which is like exposing people to small amounts of the spiders that scare them and then eventually overcoming the phobia. The Fear Lab is really interested in this connection between fear and long-term well-being. And sometimes that comes up in unexpected places. Recently, researchers noticed that horror experiences tend to look and feel a lot like play. And we can we can understand that, right? Like yeah. it's, it's an attraction. It's like going on a roller coaster. And one of the things that makes play so enjoyable is mentally bringing in new information. It's about how we learn and how fast we learn. And being scared had a similar sort of effect on people, which is you're learning at a very rapid rate. So it really does resemble play in that sense. 
And so they're doing a study now in a survey of more than a thousand, I think, uh, Danish kids, where they're looking at this idea of psychological resilience to say whether fear-related play would actually, over the long term, lead to a decrease in the incidence of anxiety, for example. Huh? And so when we say fear-based play, we're talking about peekaboo, you know, which is like a startle, right? We're talking about climbing uh, a tree. We're talking about telling ghost stories really around a fire. Or something. Swinging really yeah. high. Mm-hmm. Running so fast you fall down. Swimming where you can't touch the bottom. Like all of uh-huh. these are essentially forms of play that are also related to fear at the same time. So what are some of the biggest questions these days? What's at the avant-garde of fear research? Another study that they found out of dystopia, which relates to this idea of how quickly you're learning and how quickly you're taking in information from your environment, is this idea of the sweet spot of fear. Hmm. Which is to say, fear is fun, it's, it's exhilarating, but too much of it can freak you out. Right. Like even the most avowed horror fan like has limits or if, if you're understimulated, it's just not as fun or as interesting as it could be. And so they found this in dystopia that there was a certain sort of range of heart rates, for example, huh. um, where people were in what they described as the sweet spot of fear, where they were maximally sort of getting the benefits of fear and enjoying that recreational fear uh, without getting overwhelmed and freaked out and without being bored. And that range is different for everybody. Right. And this is where their next bit of research comes in. Back in the lab, there's a large, near-empty room with the Stephen King quote on the wall. It says, We make up horrors to help us deal with the real ones. It's in this room where researchers are working on a project that could help keep people in their own personal sweet spot of fear. And all they need are some computers, a TV screen, and some lounge chairs. These lounge chairs are set up to document a continuous stream of human biodata as people are watching something. The researchers gather up a bunch of subjects, usually undergrads, and they show them horror movies. And simultaneously, they track how the subjects respond to the movie how they're breathing, whether they're sweating, whether they're leaning into or away from the screen, if their muscles are tensing up, their facial expression, their heart rate. All of this data gets fed into an algorithm that is timed to what is happening in the scary movie they're watching. And so if the machine is reading those physiological responses, then it can alter the fear experience to keep people in their sweet spot. This all hasn't happened yet. It's kind of further along than I thought it would be. Now, when it's fully functioning, it'll have this stream of data that'll say, uh, wow, this basement full of spiders is not scaring Samir enough. So we're going to start dripping blood from the ceiling. And so the idea is that they could have a dozen little control modules like, okay, here's how this person reacts to these 10 common fears and then put together Mm -hmm. this customized horror experience Your own personalized nightmare. Your own personal hell, custom calibrated (laughs) to be as fun as possible for you specifically. That was Samir Patel, editor-in-chief of Atlas Obscura. Dystopia is still open. You can visit the old abandoned fish factory for yourself every October. And you can read Samir's article about dystopia and the fear lab on atlasobscura.com. 
There's a link in our show notes. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Stitcher Studios. The production team includes Dylan Therese, Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Manolo Morales, Baudelaire, Gabby Gladney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Johanna Mayer, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I'll see you next time. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive, smart features ensure that you're always connected to the road ahead. Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com. Hi, I'm Lale Arakogli, host of Women Who Travel. Women Who Travel is a transported podcast for anyone curious about the world. We talk to adventurers and athletes. I've raced the God's Own Adventure Race, which is on the South Island and goes through the mountains down in the Southern Alps on New Zealand. That was eight days spent out in the wilderness. And chefs. Iranian food is home, it's family, it's love. And we share dispatches from our listeners. Ireland is full of these, I will call them ghosts of the past. From stampeding elephants to training sled dogs, we hear it all. The dogs will curl right up with you, and it can be kind of cozy waiting things out. New episodes of Women Who Travel publish every Thursday. Join us wherever you listen.